0: Hello, and welcome to Signals from the Hill. My name's Stephen Walsh. Coming up, we'll be talking to Christina Baczynski all about her new book, Retrograde Orbit, where we look at scaling up your skill set to take on larger projects, some interesting use of visual signifiers in the piece, and the ideas of heritage and the immigrant experience they are explored in the book. First up, some news, and Avery Hill Publishing will be making our last show appearance of the year at the DIY Art Market on Saturday the 8th of December. That runs from 11am to 6pm at Richmix, which you can find at 35-47 to 47 Bethnal Green Road, London E1, 6LA. Just to give you the chance to have a big comics weekend in December, rather than the shop spotlight this month, we're going to do a show spotlight, looking at the Catford Comics and Zine Fair on Sunday the 9th of December. That's running from midday to 6pm at the Blythe Hill Tavern on Stansted Road, and while we won't be in attendance ourselves, you'll find Avery Hill creators like Tim Bird and Simon Morton there, as well as a host of other tremendous talents. And now here's some information on another comics podcast you may enjoy. Oh, we've had an email asking if we wanted to do an advert for the Avery Hill podcast. Oh, that's nice of them. Does that mean well, we can't swear? Yeah, pretty much. So no words like <laughs> or sh*t, <laughs> or <laughs> or <laughs> and definitely no. Oh, Avery Hill comics. Yeah, they're f- <laughs> nice oh uh, we're the awesome comics pod you can find us at awesomecomics.podbean.com or on itunes and as the awesome comics podcast and buy a copy of our awesome comic anthology now, www.awesomecomicpod.bigcartel.com oh that was very professional wasn't it i knew that girl right oh, Jesus. and now here's our chat with christina on retrograde orbit hi christina thanks for joining us
1: hi steve it's nice to be here
0: just looking at your website to prepare for the show, as I always do, the first thing that strikes me is that it is overwhelming in the best possible way. There's so much stuff, so much different stuff, and it's all good stuff. Like, it, you're literally spoiled for choice going on there, I think.
1: Well, it's, it's due an update. I've got a website update on my to-do list, and it's been on my to-do list every month. I've not crossed it out and just written it again on a new one for about <laughs> six months. So I need to put more stuff on there, but it's very nice that you thought that what looks old and drab to me is exciting and good to you.
0: That doesn't surprise me at all because when I used to order from you uh, at gosh, every time it seemed I would do a reorder. I'd be like, Oh, there's another thing here. You do seem incredibly productive. And as I say the, the great thing as well is it's not just comics, but, there's, you know, And also the kinds of comics You've got travel comics, diary comics, narrative comics Zines on all sorts of subjects Clothes, prints, cards, stickers It's like, you know particularly with Christmas coming up I would say that people are looking for gifts You're going to be hard-pressed to go on there And not find something for someone
1: Well, that's very kind to say One of the reasons why I started doing retrograde artwork Was because I think the year before I'd made like seven new comics and zines like new titles in a year and it got to the point where I had too many titles to fit like a six by two trestle table at a show so like I was having to like drop older stock which I had stock of that I couldn't physically fit on the table anymore so I kind of vowed to spend more time working on one thing rather than that amount of time working on seven new things so I was just like just in terms of physical real estate on a table, I was like, just make one thing, make one big thing. <laughs> so um, that was an incentive for sure. But yeah, I, I tend to, I couldn't like make short comics and diary comics and scenes and stuff. It's like, um, it was definitely my wheelhouse. I felt very comfortable doing it. So I'm glad that they sell and I'm glad people like them. But yeah, I also want to level up and try more risky things. Well,
0: it's more risky, but then also more safe, I guess, in the sense of by moving into sort of mainstream publishing, it gives you a chance to get into bookshops, to get distribution deals. So that sort of expands your name and brand to sound sort of crass about it. But also, as you say, gives you that idea of your ideas being encapsulated in a larger object that is just more yeah. easily transportable and, and shareable.
1: Yeah, yeah. I definitely felt like I'd exhausted like the avenues of self publishing are got taken it to the point where I could do the maximum that I could do with as one person in one room with a print press and a stapler and like an Etsy shop, you know, um, and my social media. So it's definitely been a learning curve and an exciting thing to work with Avery Hill and and other publishers as well. I worked with three publishers in the past kind of 18 months on a a number of projects. But yeah, that's kind of exciting. It feels risky because it's new, I suppose. And I've kind of proven to myself that I can do things that I didn't know I could do, even though they're transferable skills, but just the uncertainty of not having done them. But then like seeing like that like the rewards now seeing retrograde orbit pop up in a shop in North Dakota. And I'm just like, what? (laughs) Okay, right, let's party. This is just like far and away places that i would never be able to reach so that in terms of casting that net in terms of what my work can do and reach and the people and the volume that it can kind of have that's so much wider why kind of trusting a publisher and working with someone new so that's been really exciting as well like it's been cool seeing that happen
0: and in terms of the the, the kind of project it is i mean it is uh obviously the largest single project you've done By a long way, I would imagine, in terms of like just pure page count and and Um, the scope of it.
1: Yeah, yeah. So yeah, it's it's over 100 pages, and I think that's the biggest book I've done. I worked on two books simultaneously last year that were 80 pages each, and they were kind of I was working on them concurrently, so like collectively they they're more pages, but they were kind of children's books, and I didn't write them as well. But definitely, kind of felt like my skills were tempered. But yeah, we've retrograde our, but in terms of writing, character design, like all the kind of sets and setting and world building and uh, figuring all the kind of mechanics of the the world and the technology of the world so that yeah it was pretty like large task compared to what i had done previously certainly in comics
0: but I guess the nice thing is just with the the amount of work you've done previously a lot of the the sort of things of the visual uh, style of it and the, the the colorings you have a certain sort of look to your work that I think you've sort of you know obviously developed over the, the previous project so I guess it is just a thing of like you're prepared and warmed up in a way that you know you get a lot of creators who for their first project want to make a 100 page book and get like 30 pages and realize that they've made a terrible mistake in trying to do a 100 page book as their first project whereas it feels like your, your backlist is so diverse in terms of concepts and styles of production that you know, you must have felt sort of warmed up going into it and prepared.
1: Yeah, definitely. It, it was cool, like, working on some other publishing projects the year before. That they, I was more kind of worried about those, but they were kind of more supported in a way because I was working much more closely with a design and typography department and an editorial department, a writing department, and, like, we were kind of working together as a small team of about three or four people kind of with an art director as well. So, even though that was a large amount of pages and kind of chained stuff out and fully illustrated, like in terms of illustration density, it was kind of up there with comics, that felt like that tempered my skills and kind of kind of got me up to speed. So it was really convenient having that. And that pulled to a close last December, so like 11 months ago. And then I started Retrograde orbit in January, just immediately after um, I'd had a break for Christmas. So I kind of went from that where I'd learned a lot and kind of leveled up a lot into retrograde orbit when it was just just me and then sometimes they emailed ricky and it was very just me in a room for months but it was good yeah i felt like i kind of leveled up I, but i did feel like oh i can i know i kind of know this i was really nervous and kind of apprehensive you don't know how it's going to get taken and like again there's that thing of i'd work like collectively i was thinking 24 page books 30 page books I've done this and I'm very familiar with it. So retrograde out of just like doing three or four of those. Fine. I can do that in a year. I've done that before in a year. But then there's that thing of it is that, but it's also the story's got to be good. You've got to feel it. You've got to sustain your readers over those hundred pages. So it's slightly more complex than that. So I was kind of excited to be levelling up and also... Maybe not apprehensive, but aware of where I could fall down or kind of self-critical enough to be like, just make sure that the ways that it could fall apart don't happen. So, uh, yeah, that kind of half being a creator and then checking out and turning into like a self-editor to make sure that it's kind of panning over. And then going back into making the thing, it's like jumping between those roles is just kind of difficult, but quite essential to do long term projects.
0: And I think it sort of it shows it's a healthy attitude to have, to have, I think, going into a project like that, to sort of be aware that there are pitfalls. And and then also being aware of what you need to do in terms of facing those things, rather than sort of barreling through and thinking, oh, I'll just do 100 pages and then I can correct things afterwards, sort yeah. of going through it. Being aware of those things with your eyes open to it, you you must help as well. I think.
1: Yeah, definitely. Um, There's always room to learn, but I did feel like I'd learned enough that I could be self-aware and self-critical enough, and have I've I've got some skin. I wouldn't say I've got a thick skin. It's maybe like two sheets of 80 GSM paper, but thick enough skin (laughs) to kind of be self-critical to be like.
0: That's very inside baseball. (laughs) (laughs)
1: <laughs> paper nerds with no ego come come you will enjoy my comics i, I am your people <laughs> but yeah like i had a thick enough skin even though it's not very thick to like take myself down when it wasn't good enough and be real enough with myself to like challenge my writing which i knew wasn't ex- exper- i wasn't experienced in writing a long story so kind of scaling up a process in that way, I can draw and I can colour and I can design. That's great. But yeah, in terms of the story and the writing and the dialogue, that was where I was most nervous. So that's where I kind of poked myself and said it's not good enough and rewrote it and kind of was quite meticulous um, with my writing early on. So January, February, I was pretty like ruthless and and. Did a lot of rewrites to get it right, so that I could just kind of settle into that rhythm of penciling and inking and colouring, kind of confidently. So yeah, that definitely, hopefully, paid off as well.
0: Just for people who haven't had a chance to have a look yet, what would you, how would you outline Retrograde Orbit in terms of what the book's about?
1: It's a science fiction story set in a solar system where we follow the life of a young girl who grows up and becomes a young woman. And she lives with her family who are originally from a different part of the solar system, from a planet on the opposite side. And they were displaced by a nuclear event. So she grows up on this mining colony. And every three years she can see her home planet, which is kind of irradiated and mysterious and a kind of no-go zone. And it appears in her sky every three years. So we check in with her every three years as she grows up and kind of yearns for this place in the universe, whether it's with her family on the home that they've built or kind of reaching out into the unknown to this planet that she isn't sure of but has kind of always been there her
0: whole life. Visually, it's uh, really interesting to me because it's you know a wonderfully realized world and and the the sci-fi setting fits it perfectly but it's not immediately obvious i mean i'm assuming you're a sci-fi fan but you've chosen this as your your backdrop but there was no there was nothing where it was obvious where you sort of like lifted particular influences or or ideas were were there any sort of things that you carry through to it
1: i guess sci-fi influences i don't know if they're apparent i'm really like star trek which we talked about a lot at Thought Bubble. <laughs> um, in terms of comics, I really like Valerian and Loreline. I've Loreline. Well, recently in terms of the, those comics, got into them um, in the past few years, kind of past decade or so with the Cinebooks translations. So I do like that kind of adventure aspect. In terms of design and stuff, I just love the kind of liberty that sci-fi allows, I suppose. So... How you can allegorically design characters and worlds that can be descriptive and emotive because they're not kind of hung so strictly on reality, even though like the environmental concerns are there in terms of gravity and the physics and stuff. Like there's lots of very kind of human and earthly aspects, but there's also a kind of imaginative liber- liberty to kind of explore and accentuate and all that stuff that you can do with sci-fi are really it excites me in a way when I can write and draw in that world. It's a lot of work as well because you've got to design it all. It's not just kind of slice of life. There's no reference material, really, because those places don't exist. But, yeah, I, I kind of I rate it because it, it's kind of imaginative and you can just kind of play a bit more, I guess.
0: In terms of process, did you create a Bible as you were going on just to get a, a sort of consistency in terms of the looks of certain places and things?
1: Definitely with the characters. So the, as a character grows up, there's a kind of her costumes change and her hair changes. So there's a kind of consistency, but also a difference for each chapter. So when I was penciling each of the chapters, I would have uh, it, And when I was writing, actually, when I was writing it, I had specific kind of vista or like visual panel or a striking imagery for each chapter that I wanted. So each one would have a moment or a setting that would be kind of iconic for that chapter so I knew that there was locations that had to develop but certainly with the characters as well there was a kind of balance between the character design so that you knew which character was which um, but then because it, it happens over the space of about 20 years for those characters to grow and change enough that they age but not too much and kind of looking forward to the next chapter where you can do something different with them but They can't look 20 years older. It can't be kind of dramatic. So they're quite subtle changes as well. So I, uh, between each chapter, I enjoyed getting to redraw and recast and kind of update and kind of check in with my cast again when I was coming to write it. And then also explore like this uh, one location is the mining refinery. And you kind of get little snippets of where it is in each chapter. You might get the front of it and then you kind of get wide and then in chapter two or three um you actually go inside so I'm looking back to what I've already drawn but then thinking how does this function inside what's the mechanism of mining how does it work how does it get off world like all this stuff so it was like bit by bit through the chapters but also like being mindful of where it was going to end up so I knew if I was going to be at that location again And then sometimes I knew that that was only once in that chapter I would go there. So there's a chapter where they go to like a botanical gardens in space. Extremely my shit. I loved it. (laughs) So I was really looking forward to drawing that because I knew it was was, it's a location that she only visits once. So I could just make it really far out and and like just draw. (laughs) I drew really dense kind of botanical gardens with big kind of like a crystal palace type structure with loads of wild kind of space plants. And kind of heavily illustrated those because I was like, well, I'm only going to have them for six pages or something. I'm never going to have to come back. <laughs> so enjoy. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, that's, I guess it's different for the different locations, but I was always mindful because I had the script when I was coming to try it. And I fully scripted it. Before. Like I did some preliminary drawings, but it, there was a full script. And then I kind of became writer, like went from writer to being artist. So I knew exactly where it was going. There was no kind of margins for that much change at that point. So I always knew what was coming up or when I'd kind of checked something off or if that was the last time I'd draw a character. So I had those like little milestones and I could be mindful of those through the whole process.
0: I really enjoyed the the sort of visual chapter breaks rather than firm chapter breaks and sort of outlining, you know, we are moving to a new thing that subtle thing of like, uh-huh. oh the characters have changed and and and, and you know, as you say their the the hairstyles and the, the slight different look to them that just sort of carries you through and is really sort of smooth and I think works you know, incredibly well in comics.
1: I hadn't figured out how I was gonna do the chapter breaks until they were like the last thing that I did. So I'd done all the interior pages and then like my last couple of weeks work on it were end papers, sign page, all the kind of end matter and stuff and then the chapter Kind of, I just called them like chapter interstitials because I wasn't sure what they were going to be. I originally had ideas and sketches where it was going to be like object, significant objects and some kind of visual metaphor for ageing or time passing. And it started feeling a little bit too dense and a bit convoluted and maybe a bit distracting. So I ended up deciding to do a giant star map of the solar system because it's about that journey. And it, it's chopped up. So all those chapter pages actually stitched together to be a single image which nobody but ricky knows and now you
0: <laughs> good news for readers because now my advice would be buy two copies yeah chop one <laughs> up and you get a you can't call it a freestyle map so just bought another book but you know a star map that you didn't have before
1: It's reasonably be priced 11.99 for a map 11.99 for a comic yeah so I've got a giant star chart thing that's like I guess it's six oh I can't even do the maths it's like yeah 14 times the size of the book I think it is quite a big file and it's got a massive colour gradient across it uh, which kind of represents that the change in the story the chapters kind of change. there's like a colour tint through the book as well and that happens across the map as well but yeah when I figured that out it was quite nice it's something abstract and it punctuates a bit more because it's more in contrast to the interior pages of the actual narrative comic so it was nice kind of figuring that out and trying it and seeing it um, between the pages it's hard to visualize as well because once I'd colored it all like digitally and everything and was making those pages uh, between the chapters I could only really like Pretend to browse through it on my digital monitor. So it wasn't the same as like doing it through a book, but I I figured it kind of worked. So I was like into it. But uh, I think when I'd done it and I was like quite happy with it, it made me think of Have you seen Mad Max Fury Road?
0: (laughs) I have seen Mad Max Fury Road.
1: (laughs) So there's that awesome, like I I really love that film. It's fantastic. And uh, between the kind of big acts of the film, there's just a fade down to black and it goes silent and then it fades up again. And, like, I just got such an epic rush when I watched that film. It's an amazing film. Anyway, those kind of act breaks felt really cinematic and kind of I was thinking of that when I was doing it in retrograde orbit. Although there's some big claims, it's like as good as Mad Max Fury Road. No, it's not. Just another reference, I guess. But, yeah, I quite liked that. I think it adds to the kind of narrative. Feel that you get those breaks and you kind of take a breath and it fades to black and then it comes back up and you kind of almost iris out on a on a new chapter on a new moment. So it was quite good to just kind of press pause and, and stop and start between chapters. I think it it I was quite happy with it when I figured it out. Anyway,
0: in terms of the story as well, one of the things that I loved about it is that it's an it's an immigrant story, isn't it? You know, there's a a lot of immigrant stories that are being told, but it doesn't feel like Emigration is given the same sort of emphasis in in popular culture as as immigration. The idea of thinking of the place you've left behind as opposed to dealing with the place that you, you find yourself in.
1: It was definitely a story that I wanted to write because it's a story that I kind of wanted when I was growing up. So I'm second generation Ukrainian. So my grandparents are all refugees from the Second World War, displaced by conflict and ended up in the UK by various outlandish stories of survival and just madness and amazingness. And so growing up, like my mum is bilingual and has Ukrainian parents and is completely connected to her heritage. Whereas I'm second generation, so I'm even more English, but also kind of had to, and my parents, are they sound English in which my parents' parents didn't. And so I have this, kind of duality to my heritage but it's a difficult thing because it, it would be the easiest thing in the world just to be English and British and and live and I present white so nobody other than a weird name nobody would know <laughs> where, that there's any strangeness to where I'm from they just think oh yeah you're from Huddersfield fantastic good for you but kind of growing up there's always that kind of empty space in me that I knew I knew I had a heritage somewhere else and I knew that Well, these customs and traditions and this cuisine and this language that I spoke in this little pocket of my life, which was my parents and my grandparents, was quite precious and could easily be lost. So there's that thing of like wanting to know more about it. I wanted to go, so I did. I did go to Ukraine when I was 20 for the first time. Couldn't go for a while because of uh, it wasn't an independent state until 1991, and also Chernobyl happened um, when I was very little, when I, the year I was born, in fact. And um, so it was quite dangerous to go politically and physically. So those things all kind of play into the book, and it was kind of a weird amorphous feeling when I was growing up that kind of duality of heritage and not quite feeling like at ease or in the right place which I think is quite a common feeling when you're growing up but I think it was really attached to that side of my upbringing as well and yeah kind of getting to put that into words and pictures where retrograde are but it was a really cathartic experience and I've had quite a few really really nice tweets and reviews where people have picked up on it because they're from dual heritage or someone was uh, kind of displaced by the Yugoslav Bosnian conflict In the 90s and said that it really resonated with them i was just like so pleased that people were kind of feeling it in the way that i kind of felt it when i was growing up as well so yeah if anyone picks up on that and kind of is into it i think it works in other ways as well like that's why science fiction is fantastic because you can tell quite kind of real human stories and then they can have multiple meanings because they're not tied down to the specifics of reality but yes i think when people do pick up on those specifics it's amazing but then it's also really nice that people can just enjoy it for the story that it is
0: as well yeah i've got a friend who's uh of bosnian heritage and, and moved yeah. over after the or during the war and yeah. uh, she would always talk very evocatively about the place where she lived and and you know i you know i grew up uh with an irish family in london so i always had that awareness of you know and not being from another place but i think what was really important talking to, to her about her experiences was you know, I'd only heard about Bosnia on the news as a place of, of warfare and conflict. And she talked about it so beautifully and like clearly wanted to return there and, and live there again. And uh, I think without that, you, it's easy to sort of think of these places as just very other, very odd, and, and you can't imagine why people would want to go back. But, you know, it, there is, a, there is a, a pull, isn't there? Definitely.
1: Yeah, it's a strange feeling. And, yes, yeah, one that I couldn't quite articulate until I got kind of more adult like like it's something that I'd actively pursued like actually going back to Ukraine when I could and that was a really amazing experience and seeing family that I'd never met before and especially growing up second generation like my family was it it feels like a big family because my mum's got lots of brothers and sisters so I've got lots of like cousins and stuff but it is literally severed at my grandparents there's nothing further back than that and there's no Like family home, there's no kind of like village or kind of like tangible connection beyond that time. This is a literal like time when it started. So getting to see something where people were saying, like go to that place where people were saying like, Oh, these woods are where your great great grandparents were used to plant oaks, oak trees and like used to forests. And these are the kind of plants that they used to pick. And this is where they used to this is the well they used to get water and like physical tangible things that have like a life span beyond quite from the mid 1940s to now was really exciting
0: yes yeah, so I, I, i've moved back to Ireland recently and that's been interesting as well it was a similar thing here where my mum's parents uh, and grandparents uh, were probably the first to have any sort of birth certificate or recognition or because they were just farmers out in the, the, the land so they didn't have you know a, a council office to report births to but you know you, being able to go to the space yeah, yeah. where you know that they lived is um fascinating isn't it and quite magical i think
1: yeah yeah it made me like think of all the stories and all the people that had lived there and all the lives that they'd had and it really kind of expanded my imagination in a way that I, I wasn't expecting I was expecting to go and like learn something about myself and my family and kind of bond with people but it it wasn't just about those people in that place it was kind of quite affecting in ways that I hadn't anticipated um so yeah unpacking those feelings or a part of those feelings I guess in retrograde orbit and and um, getting to project some of that stuff into a fiction was really cathartic and enjoyable and I should I I, there's part of me that wants to make comics about Ukraine and that trip and the specifics of the history of that place and my family but then I kind of chickened out and made a sci-fi story instead because <laughs> it felt like a big deal <laughs> so maybe that'll happen but I don't know
0: <laughs> Let's let people know where they can find you and your stuff online because as I say if you're looking for A Feast of the Eyes I would say www. dot christena.co.uk and that's spelled k-r-i-s-t-y-n-a would be a oh, good place to start uh, that's got links to uh, your twitter your patreon your instagram so people can keep fully up to date you know uh, the website looks great now maybe check it daily for when christena drops the next batch of stuff and just watch it magically expand <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah i just level up Version two or something I don't know but yeah this oh man I need to update it so bad.
0: What's going to be funny is people that listening to you talk about your website as this <laughs> sparse barren space online and when they go there like oh this is an explosion of light and colour. And
1: he's <laughs> like I'm very sorry for all the colour I'm very sorry. Oh, it's old colours it's old colours.
0: <laughs> also people can meet you at a few events that are coming up.
1: They certainly can. So yeah, um, yeah. Like that, my website's a really good place. Uh, you can find all of my social media, Instagram, Twitter, Patreon, kind of hubs and stuff, and check out my work. But yeah, I'm, I'm physically at some events. I've got like four upcoming. Um, so I'm doing one. There's a girl gang leads kind of feminist DIY self-publishing winter market in leeds this sunday so sunday the 18th at left bank and then the following weekend i'm at the hepworth arts market at the hepworth gallery in wakefield and then the week after that it's the etsy made local show um in leeds at the city museum on a saturday i'm there and then the following week there's azine fest in york at the crescent and that is a sunday as well i'm there on a sunday no the saturday i think it's a saturday
0: it is a I Saturday. Saturday, December the 8th. Oh, Thank
1: you. Thanks for checking for me. It's nice to have someone fact check me.
0: I'll give you a ring that morning just to make sure you leave. <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah, please do. <laughs> Pack me a lunch as well.
0: And in a similar vein to the website, I would say if people are at any show that you're at, I mean, they're going, you, the stall's going to catch their eye, but your, your stalls tend to be visually exhilarating
1: oh thank you yes i've uh, started wearing a very colorful bomber jacket as well so i've seen the bomber jacket
0: it is it is good it is good it's a destination bomber jacket
1: (laughs) people were like tweeting about it so much at the and then i wore it again for the gosh launch at retrograde orbit and people were like there's that bomber jacket again like okay so this is my uniform now i can't like people are just gonna be let down if i don't wear it so i'll try and wear some bright colors or maybe i'll just like I'll let the work do the talking. I'll wear all black, just like dress like a beatnik and be very moody and you can just enjoy the work.
0: Thank you very much for uh, talking to us today.
1: You're very welcome.
0: Best of luck with the shows and we'll see you soon.
1: Brilliant. Yes, thanks for having
0: me on. Cheers. Thanks once again to Presenter for talking to us and thank you for listening. See you next month. This show is a Holdfast Network production. Go to holdfastnetwork.com for other programs you may enjoy.